Ukraine's arsenal of defense gets a big boost. Abrams tanks in particular have been long awaited. The tank's thick armor, massive turbine engine make it much more advanced than the Soviet era tanks Ukraine has been using since the war's beginning. Will justice be served? Ukraine's deputy justice minister discusses the complex and difficult efforts for accountability and compensation. Every day Russia's armed aggression is causing massive destruction of civilian property, damages to critical infrastructure. And these costs, they are increasing every day. And later in the program, they'll drink to that. Bans and boycotts of Russian vodka have been a big boom for Ukrainian distillers. Today is Friday, April 21st. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Lori London in Washington. Defense leaders from around Europe and the world are meeting at Ramstein Air Base in Germany to coordinate the delivery of tanks and other equipment to Ukraine. I spoke with VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb, who's traveling with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Carla, what did you learn from the group's meetings on Friday? Yeah, Lori, so U.S.-made M1A1 Abrams tanks will arrive in Germany in May. 31 Abrams tanks are going to be arriving at Grafenwehr, Germany, next month. Ukrainians, soon after they arrive, are going to start about a 10-week course to learn how to operate the tanks. They're going to learn how to do maneuvers. There's going to be maintenance courses. And I'm also hearing that 31 Abrams tanks are going to be delivered to Ukraine by the fall, which is much earlier than initially expected. 31 are going to be arriving in May to be training on, and then a different 31 that are being refurbished now in the United States. Those will go to the front lines to Ukraine when they are ready. How important to Ukraine's efforts on the battlefield are these tanks? Abrams tanks in particular have been long awaited. The tank's thick armor, massive turbine engine make it much more advanced than the Soviet era tanks Ukraine has been using since the war's beginning. The Biden administration actually announced in January that it was going to send a newer version of these Abrams tanks, known as the M1A2, to Ukraine after they were procured and built. But since that process could potentially take years, the administration pivoted in March and and decided to provide M1A1 tanks instead in order to get the tanks into the hands of Ukrainians sooner rather than later. That's how the Pentagon press secretary said it at the time. We know that the U.S. is not the only one that's providing these Western-style tanks. The U.K. has sent its Challenger 2 tanks. Germany has provided Leopard 2 tanks and allowed other allies with those Leopard 2 tanks, such as Poland, to do the same. And in the past few months, members of the group have provided enough equipment and training to support nine additional armored brigades. That's according to to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. The U.S. alone has provided more than $35 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since the invasion happened in February of 2022. And this entire Ukraine defense contact group have provided more than $55 billion in security assistance for Ukraine. That is pretty significant. Yeah, that's a lot of extra power going into the battle for the Ukrainians. VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb reporting from Ramstein Air Base in Germany. The announcement of the Abrams tanks is welcome news as heavy fighting in Ukraine continues. Anna Chernikova continues our coverage from Kyiv. Anna, what's the latest? Over the night, Ukraine experienced another massive air alert across the whole territory of the country and uh, quite a bad drone attack uh, of the Kyiv region. And this happened right after NATO General Secretary Mr. Stoltenberg left the capital. And according to Ukrainian air defense, 
Ukraine's uh, Ukrainian forces destroyed at least eight drones over the night in the Kyiv region only. For the moment, we don't have any information about victims and no information really about major damages. What's the latest on the front lines in some of the really heavy fighting areas like Bakhmut? We still see two main front lines, south front line and eastern front line. And of course, eastern front line for the moment is the hottest spot, particularly the city of Bakhmut remains under very heavy fighting. But again, Ukrainian forces remain in the city. So there is no complete withdrawal of Ukrainian forces or complete occupation by the Russian forces. So what we're hearing is still that there are street fightings going on. But unfortunately, the city of Bakhmut is almost completely destroyed. And uh, it's really difficult to find a surviving building in there. Also, quite intense situation is around Bakhmut, particularly the city of Marinka, which is also Donetsk region, and the city of Avdiivka, which is also Donetsk region. And Avdiivka is a place that President Zelensky visited this week himself. He was very close to the front line. So for the moment, that eastern front line remains one of the priorities for the defense from Ukrainian side and for the assault from Russian side. And this is what is expected to be the case for the next uh, months as well. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. Thanks so much for the update. Thank you. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky recently said Russia is already responsible for more than 70,000 war crimes. Officials estimate rebuilding the country will be in the billions. I spoke with Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Justice, Irina Mudra, on the efforts and challenges of accountability and compensation. How confident are you that those responsible for these alleged crimes will be held accountable? Bringing both Russian Federation, Russian military and Russian uh, military and political leadership to accountability, it is the matter of principle, the matter of justice, not just for Ukraine, but for the sake of the legal order security of the whole world. Putin, uh, his closest uh, circle, his military and political leadership, military who committed all those horrific crimes, must be held accountable. For this, Ukraine is proposing to create the comprehensive system of accountability, which consists of three main pillars. And those three main pillars we try to insist to implement by our closest allies and other partners. The first pillar is the investigation and prosecution of war crimes, both in domestic criminal legal system, as you rightly mentioned, more than 70, the exact number is 77,000 war crimes were registered and, and now are being under investigation. So this is done in the domestic legal system, criminal system, together with the joint investigation team, which was created in March 2022. With the help of other states, they sent prosecutors, they sent uh, their experts here on fields who help our prosecutors to investigate these war crimes. Also, International Criminal Court is investigating war crimes, and recently they issued the warrant arrest for Putin for the deportation of children and other 
war crimes which are under the mandate or competence of international criminal court are under investigation, crime of genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, those which ICC is able to investigate and prosecute, they are dealing with this. Unfortunately, there is one more crime, which is the primary one, is the crime of aggression, because if there is no aggression, there would have been no other war crimes which were committed by the, the, the soldiers, by military of Russian Federation. And for those who sent orders to start this war and took a decision to start this war, ICC is unable to deal with. That's why Ukraine is insisting on creation of a special international tribunal for the crime of aggression in or against Ukraine in order to bring Putin, Lavrov, Shoigu and, and other top military and political leaders to accountability, to criminal accountability. This is the second piece of this comprehensive system. The first is war crimes investigation in domestic and foreign in, uh, jurisdictions and ICC. The second pillar is the, the establishment of ad hoc special tribunal. This work is not an easy one, uh, you know, but there is very good progress in it because when we started to discuss this with our partners less than a year ago, they even didn't want to hear anything about the special tribunal. ICC has to investigate these crimes, but unfortunately Unfortunately, now they understand that it's out of the competence of ICC. The crime of aggression cannot be investigated by ICC because uh, neither Ukraine nor uh, Russia ratified Rome statute and signed Kampala agreements. That's why it should be another criminal body for the crime of aggression. In ideal world, it had to be a Security Council of United Nations which should issue this decision to bring the leadership to accountability or to create criminal tribunal for the leadership of the sovereign states. But in our case, the Security Council is blocked. That's why there should be another legal ground for the creation of the special tribunal. And such a legal ground could be the international treaty between like-minded states. Today, we have 30 states of allies who support the establishment of the special tribunal for the crime of aggression. They are now discussing the modality of this tribunal. You mentioned the International Criminal Court and the recent arrest warrants for Russian President Vladimir Putin and his Minister for Children's Rights for the alleged war crime of deporting thousands of children. That has just been a heartbreaking story that has just resonated with so many people around the world. How confident are you that these children can be returned and found? Because of this warrant, Unfortunately, the children cannot be returned, right? We understand that this warrant is first a political decision to legal judgment for bringing uh, to responsibility a person who committed this crime, I mean Putin and Maria Belova, to bring them to justice, to responsibility. But unfortunately, having this warrant does not mean that automatically that the children will be returned. And here we have to develop a very, very comprehensive 
plan of dealing with the issue of the deported children. I know that our president has created the coordination group, which consists of international experts, national bodies responsible for children. And we are now at the stage of creating the comprehensive approach to the issue of deported children. Of course, there are international organizations which has to deal with this issue. But unfortunately, they are also not so effective as Ukraine would expect. Children who were deported to the occupied territories as well as to Crimea. But the number of those one is much more bigger. Thousands of children have to be returned back. Turning to the physical destruction of what was once a thriving country, it's going to take an enormous amount of money to rebuild cities and towns and critical infrastructure. Do you have an estimate of what that cost will be as of now, as further destruction continues, assuming the amount is growing daily? Well, actually, the issue of reparations or compensation is the set pillar in that comprehensive system of accountability, which I mentioned at the beginning. So since 24th of February 2022, Ukraine faces massive attacks throughout the whole territory of the state. And every day Russia's armed aggression is causing massive destruction of civilian property, damages to critical infrastructure. These costs are increasing every day. Today, there is no exact amount of losses or damages caused by the Russian aggression. There are estimates for different kinds of damages. Even so, they cannot be called realistic because the hostilities are ongoing, which means that the destruction continues. Active hostilities are ongoing in certain territories, which are part of the territory of Ukraine, is being occupied which means that we are unable to assess estimation of the damages in such territories. But according to the reports published by the Kiev School of Economics as part of the Russia Will Pay project, as of February 2023, the total amount of direct damage caused by Russia only to Ukraine's infrastructure during this full-fledged war is now estimated at $143 billion. It's just direct damages to infrastructure. Under the new joint assessment released by the government of Ukraine and World Bank uh, Group and European Commission at the United Nations, the cost of reconstruction and recovery in Ukraine has grown to $411 billion. These are rough figures how much money Ukraine will need in order to rebuild the country, at least in order to recover for the direct damage. Will Ukraine be able to acquire Russian assets from companies and maybe oligarchs that have been seized all over the world? And if so, will it be enough to compensate for the losses? We're seeing that since February 24, after the full-scale invasion and during 2022, the European Union, the United States and, and the United Kingdom and Canada and other states blocked the assets of the Russian Federation, its state institutions, Russian oligarchs, politicians who supported and facilitated the armed aggression against Ukraine. At the beginning of 2022, Russia has reported in its official financial statements to have anywhere outside Russia's border between 300 to 500 billion dollars. 
Unfortunately, we look at the current figures of Russian Federation sovereign assets held by foreign states from the public records of the Russian Federation. And according to the public statistics of the Central Bank of Russia of the 1st January 2022, they amounted to $316 billion. It is a problem because none of the states can state the exact figure of the exact amount of either Russian money or assets worth of money. We do believe that there is money outside Russia's border, which is in banking account or account in the European and Western banks. There are assets also of Russian Federation, and at least the major part of those damages of the amount which is needed for reconstruction could be covered by means of these assets and this money. And of course, it's growing every day as the war continues. It doesn't sound like there's any sort of actual mechanism, though, that would allow for the assets that are seized to be directed to Ukraine. You're very right in this. There is neither any legal institution, legal avenue where people can apply to in order to get uh, compensated for the damages. None of the, the judicial institutions is effective in issuing awards for compensation. It is really the situation which never happened in the past before. Because those conflicts which were in past, they were not of such scale, not of such uh, egregious violations of human rights, international humanitarian law, charters of United Nations, and, and so on and so forth. That's why the international law did not have to be responsive to the act of aggression when one state is trying to occupy an, uh, its sovereign and commits such gross violations in uh, contrary to the statute of the United Nations. And this is an act of aggression. It has been recognized as an act of aggression by the General Assembly of United Nations by more than 143 states. Even if someone would be able to get a court judgment, it won't be able to enforce this because the Russian Federation assets, sovereign assets, state assets, they are protected by sovereign immunity in principle. And there is no legal ground existing in order to lift this sovereign immunity. That is why what we are doing now together with other governments and other partners, we are trying to establish this legal ground for lifting the sovereign immunity from these assets. So that this asset could be used as the source for paying out the decisions of the claims commission once it will be established. It is a lasting process and currently we have an international support at the level of the Committee of Ministers of Council of Europe. We have the resolution uh, which was adopted in November 22 by the General Assembly at United Nations and that resolution, it was on remedies and reparations against aggression in Ukraine by Russian Federation and it stated that Russian Federation is a 
obliged under international law to make reparations for the act of aggression and reparations for all those damages, loss and injury. The second, what was resolved in this resolution is that there is a need to create an international mechanism for reparations. And third was the recommendation to the member states of the General Assembly to establish the register of damage in order to collect and preserve all the information which will serve as evidences for the damages lost. And the main concept is the construction of the coherent system for securing payments or compensation for damages caused by aggression to the very victim of this war. And the financial source of this compensation fund should be filled in primary with Russian assets. And this is what we outreach to our partners, that those blocked assets, those frozen assets and money, which are in different jurisdictions, should be transferred to this compensation fund. And we have already launched the process of uh, establishment of the Register of Damage. Evidence database will be used in future in adjudicating process by the International Claims Commission. And such a register will be located in The Hague. We already have the decision of the Committee of Ministers of the Netherlands to host the register in their jurisdiction. So we envisage that the register will start functioning in a couple of months. What does justice look like to you on the bigger picture here? What does justice look like? Well, justice has to serve its primary purpose. If there is a violation of the international legal order, there must be punishment. If there is an act of aggression, all who are connected with this act, starting from the highest leadership, the top officials of the sovereign which started this aggression and ending with those ones who, who were in the battlefield, killing our people, raping our women and children, torturing our soldiers, must held accountable. In prison, by means of money, reparations, and the last but not the least, the criminal institutions and the international law should ensure that the enough legal tools to ensure punishment and reparations. It looks like that today we can't bring Putin to be responsible for the act of aggression, for the crime of aggression, because no legal institutions can do this, and we have to create a new one. And with regards to reparations, if there is no consent of the state which committed this aggression, it also there is no way to get this reparation. That is why international law should be adjusted to be responsive to this. The states have all the powers, governments, the officials have to adopt the needed legislation, international level and domestic level, in order to address the issue of reparations without the consent of the sovereign state which committed this aggression. As well as when we speak about the oligarchs who are confirmed to be closely related to Putin and to invest into this war, there should be also found the legal basis for the confiscation of their assets, which are connected to the act of 
of aggression. So far, the international law lacks such such exemptions. Irina Mudra, Deputy Justice Minister of Ukraine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Voice of America. Thank you, Laurie. And for this last year, there have been a lot of political declarations, a lot of political statements, commitments, condemnation. Now it's high time to move from statements to real actions with regards to the punishment of Putin and with regards to getting compensation to the victims of war and reconstruction of Ukraine. We will need a lot, a lot of money. And it's not fair that this money is taken only from the pockets of our closest allies, citizens, but not from Russian Federation. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Names like Smirnoff and Stolishnaya have been famous for Russian vodka. But boycotts and bans around the world over Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine cleared out store shelves of its famous vodka brands. And while production and exports of Ukraine's vodka were unable to function at the beginning of the conflict, distillers like Nemirov persevered and say sales have increased significantly as people have looked for ways to show their support. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Lori London. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.